Welcome to the 4th Down Experience, the podcast devoted to special teams. Your host of the 4th Down Experience, former pro free agent, nine-year professional kicking coach out of the Midwest, Coach Chris Hughesby. Alongside Coach Chris Hughesby is a former two-time Arena Bowl champ, nine-year pro kicking coach, rep in the South, Coach Brian Jackson. Hey, what's up, 40 Nation? Before we start this podcast, we just wanted to let you know about a brand new product that's out on the market called the Launchpad Kickoff Block. Yeah, guys, I mean, this kickoff tee is phenomenal. It's basically designed to allow you to have a forward lean on your block, as well as to be able to lean at different ways that you want it. So it's super flexible. It has a, a very good surface area to strike the sweet spot on the ball. As we all know in the kicking industry, hang time is more important than ever. So the forward lean and the 360-degree power arc or, or rainbow of, of settings, it, it makes the launch pad the most versatile and strategic kickoff tee ever. We actually had a camp just recently where a guy that normally hits 63 to 67 yards is normally in like the 3-2 to 3-4 hang. And we just said, hey, why don't you just test it out? And the guy was hitting 3-7s to 3-9s, consistently hitting 65 to 68 yards. And it was just remarkable. So uh, this has been phenomenal to have the Launchpad kickoff team come out. And you guys can use our code in. NKR, uh, just like, you know, NKR camps, you know, NKR is the code where you can get a discount. And we're also going to put the link in the description, okay? So that way you guys have that. And again, there's other things with this awesome launchpad team. You could do really cool squib kicks and boomerang bouncers and, and sidewinders. It's just more important forever to have all these tools in your kit when you're going to compete against other guys at the high school, college levels. And the other thing that's really cool about this is, is safety, actually. I mean, we've had trainees in the past that, that may step their toe on other tees uh it's really cool how the launch pad is designed it's very safe for your foot you know coming in to, to make foot to ball contact so again launch pad kickoff tee we're stoked about it we're excited links in the description and you could also use code capital nkr yeah brian i love the block to see it firsthand versus just kind of understanding the science behind it with the forward lean and opening up the sweet spot like you said, when we saw kickers at our camp get a little bit more hang time than they average and typically do in our camps, I mean, that's what sold me. And so I'm fully behind this block now that I've seen it in action, and we've had the kickers at the camps like it and actually started purchasing it already. I love the block already. Go get yours today. What's up, guys? Brian Jackson here, Chris Hughesby with the 4th Down Experience Podcast. and We're elated to have our first special teams coach in the NFL on this podcast. Uh, Randy Brown has, has 16 years of NFL pro experience coaching special teamers, especially specialists like yourself. So we're excited to have him on the show. Coach Brown, how are you? Wonderful being here today, Brian, Chris. Thanks for having me. And you know, I love our specialist community and whatever we can do to help each other out. And wish I could have talked to you guys a little sooner, but the coronavirus has given us a little extra time than we all thought we were going to have. Yeah, exactly. Well, Randy, thanks for being on. You know, you've always been on our short list of people we'd love to have on the podcast, so we're glad that it, it finally worked out. Well, thanks for having me. I'm excited for it. Let's roll. So, so Coach, um, you know, obviously you have a, a very unique story. There's not too many you know, kicking coaches you know, on NFL staffs, so uh, it's exciting to, to, to be able to talk with you. Um, you know, you've obviously been the, the Ravens kicking specialist coach since uh, 2008. You know, how did you become one of the few kicking coaches in the NFL? <clears throat> um, I went to high school at Cherokee High School here in Marlton, New Jersey, and kicked there for 83 and 84. Then I went away to college and kicked at Catawba College in Salisbury, North Carolina. Um, when I went to a, a kicking camp in 1984, I went to Mark Mosley's kicking camp. And there were 75 straight on kickers and 25 soccer style kickers. So that gives you an idea of just in the eighties of how straight on kicking was so much bigger than soccer style kicking. Um, so there wasn't really any place to learn how to soccer style kick for the better part of the eighties. So in 1989, in the spring of 89, there was Ray Pelfrey out on the West coast, um, you know, and some smaller guys on the East coast. And I decided to open my own kicking camp with Al Roberts, who was the Eagles special teams coach at the time, and then he ended up being the Jets special teams coach. 
And I did a nice little kicking camp here in, in southern New Jersey. Uh, loved it. Um, then started, uh, word started going around the uh, uh, college football in the 90s that there was a guy who could coach kickers. And Al Roberts brought me to the Eagles. He brought me to the Jets. He brought me to the Arizona Cardinals, to the Cincinnati Bengals. And in the meantime, in the 90s, uh, I started going around to different colleges like Clemson and, and Baylor and University of Washington, West Virginia, and did soccer-style kicking camps there. Uh, so that's how I started. And I was just fortunate enough in 1998 to be hired by Dave Wonstadt and the Chicago Bears to coach Todd Sauerbrunn. And it turned out I had Todd Sauerbrunn and Jeff Jager, uh, which was my 1998, my first year in the NFL at age 31. Nice. So ultimately, you it seems like you almost just fell into it. Just becoming a kicking coach, there was a need. And people wanted your knowledge of, of kicking at that time to kind of spread the wealth and, and just teach Well, people, Brian, right? you know what? I did fall into it. You know, I didn't wake up one morning and say, hey, I'm going to uh, be an NFL kicking coach because I was coaching football. I coached high school football here in New Jersey for eight years. I coached high school football in 1990 to 93 at Cherokee High School in 1994 to 1997 at Holy Cross High School. And I was the offense coordinator. I was coach defensive backs. I coached all special teams because there was only six coaches on staffs back then, you know, and then everybody else was volunteer. So I was a football coach, um, but I really loved and excelled at, at coaching kickers. And we were fortunate to have a bunch of all South Jersey kickers here during that time period. Um, and my goal was always to be a special teams coordinator in the national football league. That part got derailed a little bit because, you know, how am I going to say no when I had a chance to coach, with the Chicago Bears in 1998. Now, granted, they paid me the whopping sum of $20,000 to coach that season. So, and that was my gross number. So you guys could probably do the math and realize what the net number was. So it was worth it. Um, I was a single dad at the time. My son, Tyler, who's coaches football at the University of Michigan now, was seven. And uh, we started our journey in 1998. So how did you get into the Bears thing? I know you kind of briefly mentioned it, but what's kind of like the history of like the communication and, and they're like, hey, do you want to be an NFL coach now? Uh, good, good question. You know, it was a twofold. Al Roberts, who I'd been with for, uh, you know, the better part of a decade, and him and I spent so much time together. Um, he was friends with Keith Armstrong, who was the special teams coach for the Bears at the time. And we were putting in, a, as Keith was putting in a directional system, directional punting, directional kickoffs. And then I was also doing some kicking camps for Don Neal at West Virginia, and Don was very close with Todd Sauerbrunn. So Don um, had Todd Sauerbrunn call me to try to clean up his punting, and Al Roberts had talked to Keith Armstrong about bringing a guy in that can help coach directional kickoffs and directional punt, and Todd Sauerbrunn happened to be the guy who was the kickoff guy and the punter. So it was just kind of all the worlds came together, worked out really well. Todd liked me, Keith liked me. Dave Wonstadt had just had Steve Hoffman as the kicking coach for him in the, with the Dallas Cowboys because Steve kind of really laid the track for us, me and Doug Blevins, a couple of the other guys who came in back then. So it all came together, and, um, and we started the season in 1998. Uh, Keith Armstrong was coaching special teams. I was coaching kickers. And uh, Todd Sauerbrunn was our kicker, pun, punter, kickoff guy, and Jeff Jager. And we had some, some young kid named Patrick Manley come right out of Duke University to be our long snapper. And now he's turned out to be probably the second best long snapper that's ever played in the game behind, yeah. of course, Morgan Cox. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I remember so you know, obviously you're a kicking coach on an NFL coaching staff. You know, obviously your title now is special teams coach. You've had special teams scheming experience for many years. Um, but, you know, and you have a veteran crop of specialists that are that are playing at the highest levels, and if not the highest level, like of being the best specialist unit in the NFL. So there's been a question been coming up the last couple of years of, you know, if and when there'll be more kicking coaches on college staffs and more kicking coaches potentially on NFL staffs. And you know, we've asked that question to several people. And, you know, one of the common answers we've, we've received is if it's more so like a guy that's just got drafted or a guy that's, a, you know, unsigned or, or undrafted a free agent coming in, that's more of a young buck. But, like, what's your thought process, obviously, being the, the guy? Um, and, you know, obviously, we have Chris Bonial down in the bucks and all, but 
what 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 do you think is going to happen in the next five ten years? Do you think there'll be more kicking coaches at that level? Well, yeah, without question, there will be. Uh, we're starting to add guys, and you know, Jamie Jamie came in with with the Bears uh, this past year, and Nick Keating's been banging around doing some of it. Um, number one, we've got to have the guys who can coach, okay? Because uh, if you're going to coach an NFL player, you have to convince them that you're going to improve them. And I don't care if it's 37-year-old Sam Cook, or if it's 30-year-old Justin Tucker, or if it's whatever 22-year-old undrafted free agent I'm going to bring in this year, or if it was Corey Vedvik the year before. So you, Brian Jackson, let's say, you want to be an NFL kicking coach, you've got to be able to convince that special teams coach that you're going to improve his special teams, the head coach that you're going to improve the team's record by the performance of the players on the field, and then convince those athletes that you can make them better. And I have found that for the money too now, I mean, the big, the big thing people have to understand, it's, it's the money. There's not, you know, uh, maybe there's the lore of the National Football League and everybody gets, gets paid a million dollars, and they, they don't. And, but if you love it, which I do, you're willing to accept a smaller amount of money, get your foot in the door, um, and work at it, yes. So I would say... I really believe um, within by the end of the 2022 season, we should have 10, 10 kicking coaches who are kicking coaches, but they might come under the special teams um, label. So it could be quality control, special teams assistant. Like if Tyler comes into the league, which I think he's qualified to come in the league right now, I, I'd want him to come in as a special teams assistant, you know, a quality control guy. I don't know how many guys will just be kicking coaches, but um, I think right now, I think we have five. I believe it'll be 10 within the next two seasons. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. That's cool to hear. You know, I think it gives everybody a little bit more optimism if they have their sights set on, on that type of opportunity. And, and let me just, let me, let, let, cause we're just going with this. Okay. Cause I, I wish sure. there was, a, there, I wish there was on all 32 teams, there was a guy with kicking knowledge as part of the special team staff. Okay. That's my wish. It's my dream. And I know a lot of players in the league have come to me and said, Hey, do you know anybody who could come help us or special teams coaches, especially right. But right. if you're a guy out there, go hook yourself up with a couple special teams coaches that you're, you'd be friendly with that you communicate with. And maybe they bring you out for a, a mini camp. I mean, this year is going to be difficult just because of the virus right now, but start communicating with them. Start helping them maybe during the season. Maybe help them break down the opponent video. That's how you get in the door. You can't just wait and wait for somebody to call you. These special teams coaches have to know you're knowledgeable and you can help them improve. Yeah, it's great advice. What's the feeling of being like a kicking coach and, and, or even just the, the other staff members? Obviously, you have your receivers coach, DB coach, et cetera. Now you have your kicking coach. Like, is it something that is still odd? Or, like, obviously with the Ravens, it's, it's the norm. But with, like, other teams, is it odd to those coaches? Like, wow, we have our own kicking coach. This is weird. Or is it, like, are they open to that? You know, is, it, is there, like, a good – is there a negative stigma to it? Well, I think the staffs that I've been on, it's, it's been wonderful because um, our productivity. You know, uh, we, had, we had great special teams in Chicago. When Philadelphia, you know, John Harbaugh was – possibly the best special teams coach of all time in, in, in his tenure there. I think he got some award for that. Um, and he was open to it. And we had David Akers and we had Dirk Johnson and Coy Detmer. And obviously in Philadelphia, I mean, in Baltimore, the staff accepts it. The staff has been fabulous, incredible. I can't use enough adjectives. Um, it's starting to become more of the norm because if you're on a staff, right, you want to win. If you win, it's job security. If, it, if you win, you get playoff bonuses. Um, and anybody who can be added to that staff that can help that staff succeed, help that organization succeed, they will. Now, there are 32 special teams coaches in National Football League. Some of them absolutely know a lot about kicking and punting a football. Some don't, and some will, will, will self-admit it that they don't, and they would like help. So um, there's nothing wrong with it. You know, there's a lot of guys who are offensive coordinators who maybe weren't an O-line coach. Well, they're going to go get an O-line coach because that's maybe their deficiency. But um, I, I see it getting better. 
And it's really, yes, it's wonderfully accepted. It really is. It's actually a lot of fun. Over the 16 years you've been a coach, you know, you've had a, a very good legacy of, of training and developing real good kickers and punters and long snappers. How do you approach just in general trying to influence a kicker who's probably already pretty elite because they got, they got drafted or signed into the NFL? All right, I think arguably right now I have the best three that have ever played the game of football combined. All right, some, some people can argue, I think maybe Janikowski, Kondo, and Shane Leckler might have been the best three. I think right now the way that Justin has changed the game, the way that Sam has changed the game by the way we punt the football, nobody punted the football the way that we punted it since, you know, when Sam started in the 2014 season. And, and I joke with it, but, and I love Pat Manley, and I think Pat Manley is one of the greatest snappers of all time. But you, when you watch Morgan now, what Morgan's able to do with laces. But guess what? They're still human, right? They can't see what they're doing. And they're no different. I'm no different at times than a caddy for Phil Mickelson or for Rory McIlroy or for Tiger Woods. They don't want to have to go through this exquisite thought process during practice and during a game. So, Sam, Sam, I, you know, during a game, I, I concern myself with the wind and the footing and how many returners and what's going on. I don't want Sam to worry about that at all, right? Sam's going to look at me and say, Randy, where should we punt? Hey, let's do this punt to this direction. Okay, great. You know, Justin, you'll say, Randy, where do we want to kick off? Hey, how about we do this kickoff in this direction? Okay, great. And so that's what you add. I think too often we hear, well, a veteran can't use help. No, they all can because we're all humans, all right? And we all will, we, we love having someone pat you on the back. That's number one, right? I love telling Tucker how great he is. I love telling Sam how great he is. I love telling Morgan, dude, that's a great snap. Because we, we, we love being able to be, be here of how good we are at what we do. So I think, any veteran in the National Football League would be happy to get another set of eyes. But it's what those eyes are saying or seeing which get guys in trouble. And that's the thing. So it's that fine line. You know, Brian, because you, we, we've all kicked enough. You know what your swing looks like, but you might not know exactly where your plan is each time or maybe where the, the, the laces were. It's helpful when you have somebody say, okay, Brian, I thought your plant was a little tight this time. Hey, I thought it was in front, I thought it was in back that immediate recognition where that the next ball you can correct. Absolutely. Um, coach, one of the questions that, that I wanted to ask you, just spinning off here, the snapper-holder relationship, we've had an interesting debate, a healthy debate, with a handful of folks over the last six or nine months on the responsibilities and expectations, You know, whether it's the collegiate level or the NFL level. I'm not necessarily talking about your crop of specialists that you have. I'm talking about just in general, holistically here, coach. So like the snapper, he has his duties and jobs and obligations as a college level snapper, NFL level snapper holder. He has his jobs and duties and expectations kicker. He has his, you know, when it comes to the laces, all right, as far as the, you know, balls coming in as you're catching the ball where the laces are located and then going down for the spin, et cetera. And then obviously the tilt, what what is the expectation on the long snapper on the short snap? Should he have laces out or a quarter turn front left, quarter turn front right, or is the or does he need to focus on the speed and location of the snap, and then obviously his his blocking, which obviously most of them get bulldozed. But what is the jobs and expectations of a college level snapper and an NFL level snapper on a short snap? Um. I'll say the same thing I say at the clinics, the national clinics I do. It's the goal to me of every snapper, whether you're snapping in high school, college, or national football league, is a 12 o'clock laces snap. Okay. Let's do not, let's not make the holder work if we don't have to, no reason to. So that means you grab the football, you grasp the football in the same spot each time. You throw it back with the same, same philosophy. You have your feet in the same spot each time. Okay. Now, does it change a little bit in college? Because, of course, you've got some offset, you know, and we don't do that offset tackle over, which they do in college. But you, as the long snapper, have to find a way to get to 12 every time. To me, my opinion, and I'll stand on the table with this, a kicker, Brian Jackson, 
should not have to see a ball spinning. A kicker, the less that kicker sees that ball moving, the better chance he's got to focus in on his sweet spot and kick the ball. So uh, the expectations aren't going to change. I've I've spoken about this nationally multiple times, and I preach to any coach, get your laces square first. How are you going to do it? You're going to catch the ball in the same spot each time. Snapper's going to send it with the same velocity. He's going to put his feet in the same spot each time. He's going to keep his ass down, bang, you know, and shoot the ball out. Right. And it's interesting that you brought out the the idea of the or not the idea the the concept where you're 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 coming off of your progression step going into your plant and you see a moving ball, and one thing that I have taught kickers is, and even just in the arena realm because in the arena world whether it's it was AFL which is defunct now but even just the lowest levels of arena ball, either way out of twenty guys on a team it's scarce to find a really good long snapper and a really good holder. And so I learned just in the arena world of playing that when I see that those laces moving coming off my last step going into my plant, I have to ensure that I need to get through the ball just because while like oddly this, the laces, if they were pointed left and they were stationary, for some reason there'd be some kind of tail to the left, almost like a little, little minute draw. But I also found if I punch kick because subconsciously I was scared of of miss kicking a ball because I saw those those laces, then I knew I needed to tell myself to at least finish a little harder to the target. So so it's interesting that you brought that up. Um, you know, with guys that you've coached over the last sixteen years, what's something or even just telling a, a high school kid right now if, if they see laces as they're going into the tee, you know what would be your recommendation and tips and advice to give to them? Um, Panic, 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 fall off the ball. Don't kick it and blame it on the long snapper. Don't even kick it. Say, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, like, you know, there are so many great kickers in the national football league. And at times they kick a spinning ball At times. They kick six o'clock laces. Um, And there's more made than miss, right? We've seen that. Panic sets in for some college guys, and I've not watched as much high school recently, but you said it, that I don't care where the laces are. you got to make that kick. So how are you going to make that kick? You better, you better make sure your swing plane and your foot the ball is as good as possible, even if you're kicking laces, but you're really focusing on going to the target going to the uprights. David Akers, when we, were, we worked together for years, David always talked about he envisioned his, his leg coming off his body and going through the uprights. So that's the thing. So I don't care how old you are. I don't care if you're kicking off a one-inch block, two-inch block, or the ground. You stated it earlier, Brian. Let's go to the target. Finish to the target. But don't panic and don't fall off. How often do we see – a lace spinning, or maybe guy's got a three o'clock or nine o'clock or six. And next thing you know, that, that ball's kicked so far out of bounds for a throw in, you know, it's like, just stay with it. It was a 27 yarder, man. <laughs> so let's just talk about the tilt real quick. Cause what, what I've had, what I've seen even at the high school level and granted they're on a one inch T or half inch T, et cetera. But I still, it still drives me absolutely bonkers when I see some of these kids that have the ball leaned backwards and they're hiding the sweet spot or they have the ball straight up and down with a slight tilt at a 30 yarder. And then at a 50 yarder, they have the ball significantly tilted to the right. And, and you know, it drives me absolutely insane. Cause I'm like, look, you know, if you just keep the ball straight up and down or even just a very slight tilt, you know, let, let you be the reason why you missed or made a kick, not the ball. But when we had acres in the podcast, we talked about ball tilt for 30 minutes. I mean, it was phenomenal hearing some of the information he was providing. Was that a six-hour podcast, by the way, with David? <laughs> two and a half, uh, was that the two-hour one we had to split into two? I think. <laughs> yes, he, he was stoked. He, he said, I think it was midnight. He was like, guys, I could keep talking, but I need to go to bed. Oh, he could. Oh, he yeah. absolutely – and David and I have been together since he came out of Louisville. That's how long back we are. We're neighbors, friends, and I, I consider him one of my best friends in life. Uh, and I work closely with Luke and all and, and, and getting him to UCLA. So th- that, that's a long story. But David, when he played for the 49ers, 
and obviously it's at the Rave, uh, Ravens. A lot of the times our games would finish up, especially if I was on the road or whatever. And I would drive from Baltimore to Marlton, which is a two-hour drive from BWI home after a game, home or away. And he's on Pacific Standard Time. And almost to a minute, we could talk the entire two hours. Or at least he would talk for an hour and 45. I talked for 15 minutes of the trip. But it was great. <laughs> you, know, you know, my man, my man, I, I love to talk. I'm a politician. I'll be first. Right? David is even a better politician because he talks even more than me. <laughs> <laughs> So what would you say, you know, we see a lot of NFL guys that have a little bit of a forward lane to, you know, and I think high school kids see that and college guys see that. What, what would you tell young guys, high school, college, and even guys that are free agents that are trying to get in, what would you t- tell these guys with your advice on the ball tilt for field goals? Yeah, so let's just do forward lean. Forward lean really should only be, uh, be advanced college guys and then NFL guys because – you know, you really got to be so skilled at a forward lean of where David's forward lean was insane at times. Coy really gave him an, ins- an insane one. But you've got to be able to have foot the ball strike at the sweet spot down to a science. Um, straight up and down, like you said, seems to be the, the, the most, most consistent way. But you're right. Uh, for all the camps I've done in the past, and I still continue to do a couple, the high school guys love leaning the ball back because they think the more they lean it back, the higher it's going to go when they just don't understand the physics of just hitting your, you know, hitting the sweet spot on your foot, the ball and the ball's going to explode anyway, you know, by, by your, the power in your power in your hips, power in your quads and getting downfield. Um, this is my point on the, on the lean right or left. Okay. Um, there's the wind to me. Cause I've coached in Chicago, Philadelphia, Baltimore. I haven't been lucky enough to coach in three domes. I've coached in three of the hardest places in the national football league to kick. Um, a lean right is always important for a right-footed kicker, depending on what the wind is, all right? Absolutely. Slight lean. But if you're a high school guy, you've got to do everything you can to just try to keep the, keep the ball in the same spot each time. Makes it easier for your holders, probably not going to practice a whole heck of a lot. Keep the ball in the same spot. Wherever you want it, keep it there. And just, just stay on that plane. Keep the ball on that plane. Keep your foot on the foot the ball and go to the target. That's as easy as I can explain as possible. When you're playing in deeper grass, like some of these colleges are, and you're kicking off the ground, you might have to put a little bit forward lean just to get the sweet spot exposed. Yeah. Oh, I love that. You know, a lot of things you're saying, you know, are in alignment with what Brian and I try to teach, you know, the kickers and punters we train as well. So I love, I love hearing that coming at such a high level. Uh, I'm curious here, you know, the NFL draft is coming up. Just holistically, if kickers and punters are trying to make it into the league, what's kind of like that threshold in hang time or distance that's acceptable that they need to make sure that they're hitting for maybe a chance at a tryout opportunity in general? Well, um, let's, let's, let's talk punters first because the more skilled you are today in being able to move the ball around the football field as a punter, um, you can't be a one-trick pony anymore. You know, the days of – Mike Seifries and Shane Leckler just bombing the ball in the middle of the field are over. Um, you know, those days don't exist anymore. The returners are so skilled. The special teams coaches are so good. So you've got to be able to, to put, move the ball all over the place. You've got to be able to down the ball inside the 10, inside the 5. Um, so to me, hang time and distances that, uh, have been minimized, especially in the last 10 years. Really, since uh, Sam started doing what he was doing, and then Britton Colquitt followed some, Dustin followed some, Johnny Hecker followed very soon after Sam did. So, I mean, that's what your standard is. So if you're, if you're in college, you know, you go look at all those guys and say, okay, can I move the ball over the field? You know, and that's why some of the Aussies have, you know, Mitch Wisnowski came in last year with it. So if you're a kicker, then I always tell the kickoff guys, you got to be able to do three things. You got to be able to hit a drive ball through the back of the end zone got to be able to hit a high ball to the goal line, four, two plus, and you got to be able to do directional right, left, high ball to a corner. So you go ahead and you, if you're able to get all of those kicks in, because once again, because of the skill, especially in the coaches, the skill, the returners, you can't just kick the ball off down the middle of the field at three, eight, not expect it to get run back for a touchdown. Right. And I think this is valuable information for, for these guys that are trying to get in. Um, you know, 
Okay, so let's talk about age. All right, so if a guy played at, well, let's just say Troy University, because that's right down the road for me, um, had a great career at Troy, uh, had an, a decent pro day, didn't get in, and then trying to do Zoners camps, Husted's camps, putting out film for three, four years. They're 25 years old now. What, what age? Like, you know, could you, you know, I'm 34, you know, like if I decided to want to try to get my best, in, in the best shape of my life and get out there and try to kick. And next thing you know, kickoff rules are changed like the XFL. I'm just joking. You know, like hypothetically, you never know, but what age do you guys start like stop looking, you know, like do, do guys coming out of college, is that their best chance, like their highest percentage chance to get into the NFL or what age do you guys stop looking at? Well, Brian, do me a favor. Don't come out. Okay. Cause I really don't <laughs> want to tell you no for a workout. All right. Just don't come out. Just keep doing this. All right. Um, <laughs> Nice, but there to me, um, we in the National Football League want to see people who are playing in games continually, and it means a lot. And that's what it helped with Arena. It helped with the AAF. It helped with the XFL. It helps when we see you play in games. The longer you're out of playing in games, and the more you're kicking in a t-shirt and shorts, to me, I think the likelihood starts to go down. We're always going to hear a story of one or two, but the guys that go to the CFL are still able to come back down and play. So my suggestion has always been play, 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 but I'm not going to be that, that guy that, that says, okay, you have you been out of everything for three years. It's time to hang it up. Because if you truly believe that you're better than the 32 guys on the, on the field on Sundays, then, then keep going after your dream. But at some point, reality is going to check in. And usually what I found in all my years I've done this now, it's family ends up taking over, job takes over, and financially takes over. Because when you're not getting paid for two years and you're just running around paying guys so they can see you, you know, hunger usually pays, pays the bills there. So that, that's how I see it. I would never want to put an age or a number on it. I think everybody go, go for your goals and dreams. But understand the further away you are from playing in games, because we all know, the three of us know, because we've done it, there's nothing like when you have a helmet and shoulder pads on. There's five seconds left in a 17-17 game, and you've got to hit a 41-yarder from the left hash to win the game. Okay? And until you're in that situation that you can control your breathing, that you can control your heart rate, that you can stay focused on your spot on the other side of the uprights and you're not, your mind's not all over the place. That's what I want to see. And the further you are removed from that, the harder it is to get back to that. Perfect. I think that's going to help with a lot of guys that ask us. I mean, we, we've, we have guys that ask Chris and I all the time, you know, I'm 28. Like, do, are they even going to look at me? So I think how you answered it was perfect. And obviously, I won't go and embarrass myself uh, next <laughs> Husted tryout or whatever. But I, you may be surprised, Coach Brown, actually. But anyways, um, so I want to ask you a technique question, and I'm hogging all the questions here, so I'll let Chris get to his. Uh, we're not cookie cutter. You know, we obviously have a few things that we want to stand on, you know, with, with form and things, but, but we're not like full-on cookie cutter. You have to do it my way or the highway. But I was just kind of curious with terminology. Um, you know, the backswing or the leg tuck, um, you know, when, when you hear even just those terms, you know, what do you think? Like, do you think that guys have, have a backswing or should they have a backswing or should they have a V tuck formation to create more torque and more, you know, force coming through at the diagonal angle? Um, maybe talk about that. Or even if guys that don't even get above, that angle and they're more lower on their tuck, but they're still able to generate force. What are your thoughts on that technique side of things? Okay. So um, just because, you know, I, 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 I bust stones for a living. What I just heard was wah, 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 wah. That's what I just heard. <laughs> All right. Wah, 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 wah. Brian, the reason you've been good at what you do um, the reason Chris has been good at what he did and the, and the reason I've been good at what I do is because every single kicker is different, okay? And there are some teachers out there, I remain nameless, 
who say, okay, you need to be this, this far back and over. This is where your, your foot needs to be. This is where your left shoulder needs to be. This is where your right hip needs to be. This is where your nose and chin. This is where all it needs to be. To me, all that does is cr- create paralysis by analysis. Mm-hmm. I teach the way that you and I spoke before when we were talking before we went on air and the way that I teach my son to teach. And that is you teach the player who is in front of you. Okay. The player in front of you might be five, eight with a size nine shoe. The next player, Corey Vedvik might be six, five with a size 13 shoe. Am I going to teach them the same? Absolutely not. I can't. I got, you know, the, the plant distance for that five, eight guy might be, I don't know, three, six, three, three, four, five, six inches away from the, from, from the, either the block or the spot. Guy six five, he might be seven inches away, eight inches, nine inches. You know, his swing might be different. He might have a different backswing. I think the simplest way to put it, and, and I've tried to do this forever, it's focus on minimal amounts, which is get your plant in the same spot each time. Hit foot the ball in the same spot each time and start in the same spot each time. And if you do that and you can repetitiously hit end over end ball straight 90% of the time, then whatever you're doing is working. If you can't, then fix your plant, fix your foot to ball, fix you know, your foot being open. Brian, my concern is, especially when you're teaching younger kids, you and I have lived it, right? We've kicked yep. hundreds of thousands of footballs, but you're trying to teach these 15, 16, 17 year old kids who have not. And you're talking, right. they're thinking about a, t- a V tuck, a back, you know, where should this right hip bone be? What, mm-hmm. Why is my left arm shouldn't be all the way across my chest? It should be down at my waist. No, how about we just focus on those three basic things? Put them in the start at the right spot, the plane at the right spot, and the football in the right spot. Guys, to me, figure it out. If they can't figure that out, they're not a kicker. Exactly. I think that I think you hit the nail on the head. And the womp, 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 you're exactly right. And that's the reason why I kind of prefaced that question is because I think there are a handful of folks out there that they realize that or they don't even realize they're an adult and they, they have said these terms, the terminology, the kicking lingo. And then you're talking to a 15 year old teenager that's trying to just focus on where to stand for crying out loud, let alone process 10 different types of words they never heard of. So you're, you know, and and let's stay on that. And and listen, if we run long, we run long here, but stay on that. if I said to Justin Tucker what you just said to me, he'd look back to me and he'd say, really? Do me a favor. How about you just watch my plan be quiet? That's what he'd say. So, and I say that tongue in cheek because obviously I know Tuck and I know his swing. But there are just so many basics of how to, how to correctly kick a football. And if you're a younger guy, all right, don't go to five, six, seven, eight, nine camps and hear five, six, seven, eight, nine ways to do it. Pick a guy or two in the National Football League that you love their swing that works. Pick Lutz, pick Goskowski, pick Justin Tucker, pick Robbie Gold, pick those guys. See where their plants are, see where their football is, see where their start is. And what you're going to find is the same consistency. And then go find Brian Jackson or Chris or find one of these guys out there who can teach you how to be like those players and keep it simple. Because as I'm 53, I've been coaching almost 30 seasons in, all, in football, and nothing's changed. It's still the KISS principle. Keep it yep. simple, stupid. And if we mm-hmm. don't, if we don't, and I, and I know how, how extravagant kicking coaches try to be sometimes. And I'm on these, these, these different Twitter feeds, and I read, and I see, and I – and I love it. And guys are just trying, right? But listen, you watch Shane Graham kick when he was in the National Football League. The dude just kicked the ball straight, okay? Mm-hmm. He didn't goof around. The plant was in the same spot. He kicked the ball straight. It's boring. Bore me as a kicker. Just bore me. Kick the ball straight. Kick the ball straight. Kick the ball straight. And an all wind. So we got a right to left wind. Kick the ball on the right, right third. We got a left to right wind. Kick the ball on the left third. Just kick it straight. Sorry this to preach there. I felt like no, this, for a minute. This is what we need. And this is what <laughs> they need to hear. This is what we need to hear. This is what kicking coaches need to hear. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep going with you on this. Another womp womp. Okay. So 
Um, <laughs> no, and I love it. I, it's, I love the blunt, black and white. I love, I love you're being blunt with me because that's the way it should be. That's what we need to be with these guys. So let's get it. Let's move on to two step and three step or a jab, two step, womp, womp, yep. right? Mm-hmm. So, yep. okay. I, this is me. All right. I'm, I like to see what the highest level of guys are doing and being coached, i.e. you, but a lot of them, either they've been learned on their own or passed, but I'm seeing a lot of more, a lot more two-steppers now and at the highest level. And then you're starting to see that at the college levels. And, and so I was just curious because I have some taller guys. Well, everyone's taller than me because I'm 5'6", but I'm talking about <laughs> the actual tall guys. I have noticed that sometimes their steps become a little bit too big and then they get in a, in a mental case because now they're going to get closer. And when I've tried saying, hey, let me just try the two-step and just see. Let me look at Ryan Suckup. Look at Gano, look at uh, Bucker. Let's just try it and see if you like it after, you know, seven or eight reps. If it's terrible, we, we can just, you know, erase it and move on and go back to your jab too. And I have found it seems like guys that are 6'1", 6'2", or taller um, have been a little more adaptable or a little more comfortable to be in that two-step approach compared to guys that, you know, Will Lutz, 5'11", 5'10". I'm, I'm a 5'6 guy. I can do a two-step but I would prefer to have that extra jab to give me just a little more momentum to try to, to get into the ball more. What would you say to these guys? You know, like what do you think is appropriate for two step or three step, or do you think it's yeah. just a bunch of, bunch of minutia? No, 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 it, no, it really isn't. And that part is not want, want, because it, we go back to my start. I said, we always have to be in the same position, how we start. Okay. So that goes back to that. And that's critical. So that part is not a want, want. Um, the two most accurate kickers in the history of National Football League as we sit here today is, is Tuck and Will. They're both jab two steps. I'm a jab two step guy. And the reason I'm the jab is I like getting momentum in. I'm also 5'8". Like you, we're small. So you want to, you know, I've always been a jab two step guy. But um, there is success with just a two step guy. Absolutely. But to me, at times, two step guys seem like they're taken by surprise because they're, they're like, oh, there's the ball. And now I got two steps. The jab gives you a chance to almost have a little, little like a hesitation almost in the air while the ball is being messed with. Um, now, I, I, I'm with you. I've seen a very, lot of successful two-steppers and a lot of several jab two. You can't be a successful three-stepper and get an operation off under one three and not get a ball blocked. If you're a full three-stepper and you're back at four and a half yards, no, no, you can't do that. Two, two, two and a half. But, but remember, to your point, let's just do the same thing every time. Determine what you are, and that's what you are. And don't go out for longer field goals because I've seen this too, and I know you have. Mm-hmm. You're a two-step guy from 40 and in. Now all of a sudden you need to kick a 49-yarder from the right hash, and you've just backed up a little bit more. Now you're a jab two-stepper. You're almost a three-stepper. No, no, no. You're always the same. And I'm speaking to high school and college kids. Not NFL guys don't change, but high school and college kids. Wherever you are at an extra point, you're at the same spot for 50 yarder what are your thoughts on the two versus three step uh, on the punting approach then obviously at the punting at the nfl level you have phenomenal blockers so you know sometimes we struggle you know trying to tell kids like okay well you, you might punt at a you might do three steps but at the pause level you're gonna have to do two because of blocking or, or vice versa you know so like in general what do you feel like is, a, is appropriate a jab and a two-step too from a punting standpoint what do you all right well i'm a i'm a directional i'm a directional coach i've been a directional coach for 30 years guys i keep directional punting i've never taught punting down the middle of the field so the steps you know so to me a jab is always important because it gets you going in the direction where you want to punt right you want to punt left you want to punt right the jab at least gets you there it's, i'm an offset jab directional punt guy so what i've always been and in you can watch my guys when we punted at Holy Cross or, or, or Cherokee High School in the 90s or Sam Cook today. I've, I've taught the same thing for 30 years. has not changed. Um, but in the National Football League, guys, there are different times of the game where you have to change that, okay? This isn't, this isn't like college football where everybody can release. So, you know, if there's an eight-man rush, it's late in the game. You can't sit back there and take all day and have a three-step punt because that thing could get blocked. You might need a two-step. You might need a one-step depending on the, the time and place of the game. So when I talk to these guys coming out of college, I say the same thing. Guys, are, can you, what's your normal, what's your pooch area, what is your end of game 
the fourth quarter, eight man rush, we're up by a score, but still you still got to punt the ball in the direction we want the ball to go. So to me, it's more intricate there than it is kicking a field goal that I expect the steps to change depending on the situation in the game. It makes sense. And I mean, direction is key, uh, you know, punting, especially at the college. I mean, really, really at all three levels, you know, with punting. I mean, you, you got to be able to direction. Um, you, but, you do, but you can get away with it, obviously, more in high school because the releasing downfield and even in college, if you're on a really short hash and they can release, you can get away with putting the ball, you know, in essence, down the field, which is really down the hash. But in our league, you can't. I mean, I could show you replay after replay. If that ball is caught within the hashes in the middle of the field, that's a 15-yard return average, okay? If not, that's going straight to the house. So you've got to move the ball around in, 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 high, in, college, I mean, in the National Football League. Right. I want, to ask you about, I want to ask you about foot to ball. And I love that you said foot to ball because that's the terminology that, that Chris and I align with, you know, and, and there's terminology out there. But um, So in my opinion, just from learning from folks and, and even just my own perception of this so when I started uh coming from soccer over to football kicking Carol White was one of the few coach kicking coaches out there mm-hmm. in the southeast and and yep. I went to her, her Auburn kicking academy every summer uh, for four years in the early 2000s and then I got to be one of her staff members and, and she had always taught us you know the the vertical diagonal down kind of the rollover ankle foot to ball and hit up on the big tarsal bone and then um, we never really got the, the reasoning why, but that was just natural for me from being a soccer player. And then that, for me, that was just something that I did for my whole career. And then as you become a kicking coach and you're doing this for several years, you start hearing these other terminologies like a wedge kick where it's more of like an in-step soccer pass or even a hybrid wedge where it's kind of in between the ankle rollover and the flat lines in-step kick. You know, what is something that you prefer when their foot to ball is happening and they're at impact, where should their foot be angled at, in your opinion, to have a good kick and also to be injury-free? Well, you know, I, I, I like the foot to be flat. I don't like a toe wrapping around it. Um, you know, but flat, not that you're hitting it on the instep, but you're hitting it on, on, the, on the bone. So flat as far as parallel to the ground, but then kind of rotated over a little bit. You just got to, you know, the, the thing is, is from what I found, uh, you know, let's take this to a couple different levels. If you're kicking off a block, um, it's a little simpler because, you know, you know, the swing plane has changed a bit with the ball elevated. But when you're kicking off the ground, you really almost, you know, so often you want to try to toe wrap it. And, you know, sometimes toe wrapping works. You know, sometimes it does. It, it's a safe way to get the ball through, but you can mishit it with a toe wrap. But to me, you keep that, you know, you, you, we, we, let me go back to something we, we talked about before. If you have the correct start, if you have the correct plant, and you hit the ball, foot the ball the same each time, you should feel it off your foot at the same spot each time. So your question to me is where on that foot should I feel it? You know, and to me, there's a reason the guys used to kick for years and years barefoot and they created a callus on the big bone on your foot. And that's where they kicked it. They didn't kick it off their instep. They didn't kick it off their ankle bone. They created their callus, you know, go ask Rich Carlos, Paul McFadden. Paul McFadden might be a great interview guy, interview for you guys one day. Paul McFadden played for, played with me in the, with the Eagles. He's like the AD at Youngstown State, one of the best young kickers barefoot guys what a great talk you could have about being a barefoot guy one day and Paul's wonderful um but you know I learned from watching those barefoot guys of where to strike the ball I didn't have the I didn't have the courage to take my shoe and sock off to kick the ball with no, nothing on it but when you look at Tony Franklin and, and and Paul McFadden that to me that's where you learn how to kick a football they're do it with bare feet and they developed the callus and it worked for them right I, and I I've tried it and it hurts. It really does hurt. I, I have to have some kangaroo leather on me, but and we've even noticed that <laughs> we even noticed that with kickers. It's interesting that kids with more narrow feet, like the Nike Mercurials type, or the the type those type of cleats, or even the guys with wide feet, like the little more leather on their foot. You know, it's just interesting the nuances of kicking. Um, but I was just curious on your thoughts on that. You know, so for me, if I have my you kind of mentioned um, 
you know, kind of flat and then you're rolling that ankle just a little bit. So I feel like when you're getting that toe pointed down at a little bit of an angle that you're activating your quadricep muscle grouping, which, you know, you have four different sectors and it's a big, bigger muscle group than your groin and hip flexor compared to that wedge kick where it's completely flat lines. You know, yeah, the thing about the wedge kick, I mean, from, so let me, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but the wedge okay. kick, the guys who kick with the wedge really seem to have groin problems. There you go. Yep. Yeah, that, that's from what, from an, an, an practical standpoint, you obviously know more about the, the human body than I do because I would have lost the bet if you said how many groupings or, of muscles are in the quads. I would have said one, a quad. But no, you're, <laughs> you know, you're brighter than me with that. But <laughs> I know this, the guys that kick with that wedge, they have groin problems. You know, it's like, ooh, okay. And, and, and a substantial amount. Now, I don't know if you guys have found that also or not. Absolutely. I, I have found it in more guys that are, that are shorter. And so I, when I, I talked to Mike Husted about this, and, and Chris and I went to a couple of his free agent camps when we were younger. Um, and so he explained it as some of these taller frame guys like, like Suckup and, and Bucker, they have a little bit longer uh, – inner thighs and, and groin they're, they're, that muscle grouping is a little longer than like a shorter friend guy. And, and so they can kind of handle that, that just wear and tear on the groin. I guess just my opinion is why even like bother with it. But you know, like there's been a handful of guys that do it and they don't have the groin injuries that are taller. And so that's what I've been trying to figure out. Like, is this actually true or are we actually getting onto something here where we could at least recommend to guys Hey, you don't have to kick this way necessarily, but just understand that we've seen cases with guy A, guy B, guy C kicking, you know, A, B, C, you know, but that's just something that obviously getting into the weeds, but I I was just kind of curious from your perspective was all. No problem. What are your thoughts? You know, you were talking about directional punting uh, and it seems like, you know, punters are starting to do the misdirection thing. Do you feel like that's going to become a big trend now to try to just throw people off? I think we're already seeing it right now, Chris. I think when you watch, you know, I, every week I watch every every ball that is kicked in the National Football League, uh, you know, with our video system. I watch every kickoff, every punt, and every field goal. And, um, and you see it a lot now. Uh, you see it more and more. So – you know, when, 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 when Sam, when we did that on a Sunday night against uh, Antonio Brown, when Sam was on the right hash and put the ball down in the left corner uh, with a, you know, a nose down rugby pooch, however you want to call it, kick, uh, that changed the way that, that, that night changed the way that, that players punt in the National Football League. It had never been done before in a game. Um, but, you know, we, you play Antonio Brown twice, Pac-Man Jones twice, uh, I think Travis Benjamin was playing for the Cleveland Browns at the time in his heyday. You just can't you can't punt the ball to them, you know, thirty times in six games and expect not to be burned by it. So, what Sam did was revolutionary, and what we're seeing now is more and more, which is why more and more of the Aussie guys are, have been able to get in the league, you know, and make some and make some hay uh, because you know they're moving the football around. So, yes, I see it. I already see it now. Is it happening on every single team? No. Are there some guys who just can still only do directional turnover balls? Yes. But um, five years from now, I think every punter in the NFL is going to have to be able to move the ball around, whether they're doing it with their nose down ball, with a turnover ball, rugby ball, however you want to call it. Yeah. So is there a returner over the year? Tell you what, uh, what are some of the worst, the the toughest returners that kind of gave you some anxiety going up against them on a a Sunday? Oh, wow. I mean, seriously, Pac-Man Jones, because we played Cincinnati. Um, so Pac-Man never fair caught. So gosh, we hit him a ball. Um, you know, Antonio Brown, when Antonio Brown's primes, fabulous. Devin Hester, uh, we were lucky enough to coach Devin Hester, um, in, in, in Baltimore for a year, but, um, you know, you don't want to put the ball in Devin Hester's hands. You just didn't. And when you look at, you know, he was on our team, but when you look at what Jacoby Jones did for his couple of year period in the national football league, but, you know, Tyreek Hill right now, Miko Hardman, you know, these are guys that, that can just change a game and guys that you, you know, you really got to, you got to be careful about putting the ball in their hands, but you know, it's, it's, it's our game and it's fun and it's, it's why we coach, right? 
they coach to try to run the ball back for a touchdown, and we try to coach for them not even to touch the ball. And that's mm-hmm. what's so in, so wonderful about the the whole week of preparation going into a game. How am I going to keep the ball out of their hands? And they're thinking about how am I going to score a touchdown? That's what makes what we do so spectacular. Because you got the best athletes in the world out there, and you know it is it it really is a thinking man's game a lot. It really is, but. That's what brings you back every Sunday. Winning's yeah. fun too, by the way. Yeah, I love the chess match of a game, basically. But uh, yeah, one of the last few I have is is the kickoff rule changes. You know, I mean, it seems like they're trying to get the kicker out of the game a little bit here. But what's what's the pulse that you feel on kickoff rule changes and what they might do with it? I think everything stays the same. I thought I thought the special teams coaches. Um, you know, Dave Tobe and Darren Rizzi and Taves and Jerry Rosberg and all the guys who really worked hard um, with the league. Uh, you know, I thought the kickoff w- was great this year. Um, I don't think we're going to see any more changes to it. Um, but, you know, I, 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 a lot of credit goes to all those guys and the league in working together. And, you know, we have a great unit of special teams coaches. You know, we, we meet uh, down at the Combine, and we have a dinner every year at the Combine where all of us get together, all the special teams coaches, the coordinators, the assistants. And there's you know, anywhere between 60 and 80 of us in a room every night, I mean, for, for one of those nights at every Combine. And we're a close-knit group, um, and we all fight hard to uh, do what we can to keep the kicking game the way it is. And um, it's a great group, but what they did and the changes that were made on the kickoff uh, has really helped the leg. And it's helped us. So it's good. I don't expect any more changes. I have two more questions, Coach. Um, so this is more in the, the mental uh, realm. So, okay, and I'll, I'll, I'll use me for an example, all right? And I've gotten conflicting answers with kids over the years. So when I was at Ball State, we had one end of the field where it was a complete open field. There was nothing behind but just an open end. And then on, on the other end of the field, we had our weight room area right up against the uprights. For some reason, if there was not a wind issue, which in Indiana there was always a wind, wind issue, but let's just say it was a calm day, I felt like I, I physically would kick farther towards the closed end area. But for some reason, when I was kicking to the open end area, for some reason I wasn't able to kick as far. Is that like a, a mental block? Is, do you think there's some kind of psyche there? What are your thoughts on that? Well, um, did you see a psychiatrist while you were playing there, Brian? <laughs> I didn't, but uh, Brady, Brady Hoke actually brought in uh, a psychiatrist every fall camp to, our, to talk to our team, and I loved hearing those guys. But I was just curious because some guys – and then the reason I bring it up is because as I'm training kids, some guys it doesn't bother them at all, and then some guys it does, and I'm like – this is crazy because this happened to me when I was playing college ball, and I just wondered. If- yeah, so you know what, you know what, Brian? I still go back to the same thing, okay? Baltimore is probably the hardest place in National Football League to kick a football right now because Pittsburgh's built up their stadium. Meadowlands is probably the second hardest place to kick in the NFL. It still goes back to the same thing. No, there should be no mental blocks anywhere. What it should be is I'm kicking a ball straight, end over end, no matter where the wind is that the ball is going to carry. And now it's up to you to determine, okay, where's my line and how, wh- wh- how far can I really kick it without going out of my way and changing everything, right? It goes back to, do I want to be, a, you know, my two-and-a-half, three-stepper for farther because I need to get it there. You know, all these guys are, I need to get it there. Well, if you can't get it there, then you tell the coach, oh, I can't get it there that day. But you still have to have the same kick into the wind, right to left, left to right, with the wind at your back, same swing, same kick, end over end ball, wind doesn't become a factor. How often do you watch Justin Tucker's kicks, right? The wind that we have in that stadium at times, it's horrendous. When we're on the road, sometimes horrendous winds from where we play. But you pick a target, you hit a straight ball. I learned that from David Akers. I learned that from Jeff Jager, who was 35 years old, and we kicked at Soldier Field, and it literally had one level. We didn't know where the wind was going. But when you, when you learn from older guys, kick a straight ball, you shouldn't have mental blocks about what's happening in the stadium. Pick your target and kick it. Right. Hate to oversimplify things, but that's how and it, it could, work. could be even just a, a self-confidence issue, you know, or even just getting inside your own head. If you, if you're already looking at 
a, a wall behind goalposts and you're already sitting there telling yourself, man, this looks way easier than you may kick farther. But then when you're the other way and it's an open end field and you're already telling yourself negative thoughts, well, your success rate's already going to start dropping. And, and it could be just a self-confidence issue or, or even, like you said, maybe you need to stay a psychiatrist every week. I don't know. I think your next guest should be Dr. Phil, and you can ask him some of those questions. <laughs> yeah. All right. My, my last question, as I'm getting beat up on this interview. Uh, <laughs> um, hey, what did you right. think? You were going to get a New Jersey politician on here that was just going to be like, oh, Brian, you're so smart. You know, play your task. Give me these questions. <laughs> hey, every Sunday. You, you know you know who Brady Hoke is? Ever heard of him? Yes. Yes, I have. Yep. Every Sunday in the meeting with 120 dudes, I got yelled at every single Sunday. I mean, I could, I would go four for four on field goals, three for three on pats, hit a couple touchbacks, but that one kickoff that went on the hash and it didn't go pin left. I got my ass chewed out and cussed out on that Sunday. Cause he never wanted me to, to get a big head or think that he, he was always hard on me. And I always respected him for that, you know? So I, I like the well, coach's credibility. Uh, <laughs> hey, Chris, Brian's got some issues, bro. I'm telling you, <laughs> God bless you. <laughs> nice. Preaching to the choir. You're preaching. <laughs> All right. Well, perfect, perfect lead in to my last question. So, so if you have head case Brian at a camp and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he's kicking bombs and all that stuff and, and he's on the sticks, et cetera. And so college coaches see these, these evaluations and they're saying, all right, so you like this dude, this guy's good. What about his mental toughness or his mental psyche? You know, like, so we often get asked that and we obviously have our general vibes that we had of the kid or whatever perception we had of that child, of that kid. But we have been asked, like, at some point, can you form some kind of test they have to take or something they have to do at a camp where you can be able to, to see if a kid can handle the Michigans of the world? You know, like, do you, do you have uh, uh, some advice or maybe something to help in that realm where the mental side or the confidence side or the personality side can be rated or evaluated? You know, I, what I do, uh, Brian is, um, and I, when I was coaching in college, I always made sure I talked to the high school coaches. Um, I actually talked to the parents and in the NFL, I go back and talk to college coaches. I, I go back to some of the kicking guys that, that they've been because usually the college coaches have a pretty nailed down about the mental toughness of, of a kid. And they'll be honest with you too because their reputation's on the line. They don't want to tell you, you know, Joe Smith, you know, who kicks it, you know, ABC State um, is a money guy, you know, and then you get him in the training camp and the first two days of field goal, he's, you know, one for five and two for six. And you put him in some pressure because you're gonna be like, oh, really? Well, you know, I'm not going to ask that college coach for players anymore. So, I, I've gotten great responses, honestly, from the prior coaches. That's how I go it. And then when they then when they come to me, I put them in a pressure situation almost immediately. Within the first couple of days, the team field goal, they will be in a situation right off the bat because you know we have such limited practice time that we can't afford to have a guy who's not you know going to be a money guy for us. Coach, what do you think about excuses? Like you know, I don't have time for them. <laughs> None, zero, zilch. There is no right. time for excuses. None. Right, but coach, but coach, I didn't have, I haven't have time to to warm up. I didn't. Or coach, the wind was going right to left. Yeah. No. In our in the national in the National Football League, there's no such thing as excuses. But when you start getting in, down in in high school and college, I think the moment you got players who have excuses, at the time you just need to move on to find a guy who doesn't have excuses. Got it. Nice. <laughs> Love it. All right, Coach, our flagship question here. Every NFL specialist, we always ask them their five favorite stadiums to play in. Since you're a coach over your, your uh, 16 years in the NFL, what are five of your favorite stadiums in their atmospheres that you just, like, love to be in and, and to be a part of? Well, number one, of course, is the Super Bowl, which we played in New Orleans in the Superdome. And that 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 was just – one of the greatest days of my life, if not the greatest day of my life, but what a crowd, what electricity. Um, I love M&T Bank Stadium. Um, it is really, when you talk about a home crowd, excitement, it's, it, it's, you know, you always have a packed house. doesn't matter what your record is, it's a packed house. It's just, 
it's great. Now, when I go on the road, I had my first ever time. I've always wanted to coach a game at the LA Coliseum, and I did it this year. That's the only stadium in the National Football League that I'd never coached in. Um, and LA and, and LA Coliseum was tremendous. Um, a lot of fun in Minnesota and Seattle on the road because it's so loud and it really, you know, you've got to focus to a level of which you're not normally used to um, and the crowds there. But on the road, when you go on the road and you're playing at Pittsburgh and you win a game at Pittsburgh, that's really satisfying. It's, um, you know, it's a game for us, but, you know, it's a little bit more more when you can go on the road and win a game at Pittsburgh. And uh, it's really, there's a lot of great venues in the National Football League, but I'd say they're probably my top five. How about, how about Lambeau Field? Lambeau was great. We, we played there a couple times. I, um, I played there. I coached there um, in 98 with the, uh, with the Chicago Bears and 99 with the Bears. Um, we won a game on a block field goal on the weekend that Walter Payton passed away. So that's a, it's a great memory. It's a great, great place to play. Um, it is. I, listen, I'm blessed. I, I've coached in 300 NFL games. I've coached in 20-some playoff games, two Super Bowls, and won four championships. And, uh, you know, I mean, listen, going on the road to win at New England is special. There's so many places. You know, it's just what I – I'm so blessed at what, what I do. And, but there's so many great places because, you know, there's so many great people on the other sideline that you're friends with, that you compete with. Um, so, listen, I'm blessed every day. And, I, you know, and, and, and let's, let's hope we get to play some football this year again. Mm -hmm. Coach, it's been a privilege just to be able to speak with you and hear your insight and feedback. Um, we really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us, Coach. Thank you so much. Anytime. Stay in touch, and, and maybe we'll do something again uh, before the season starts, okay? Let's do that, Coach Brown. Thank you very much, and, and God bless, and good luck with everything. We'll be in touch. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you having me on. Yep. See you, Coach. Right, take care. Well, Chris, that was a phenomenal interview. It was so great to hear just all of his feedback, and, and he provided so much insight for, for, all of, for all of us, even our listeners. Oh, I loved it. It was, it was awesome. You know, I mean, every interview I think we do is lights out, but that was real good. You know, he was almost kind of like the the mediator, you know, with, with some of our questions about technique and all that stuff. It was, he's got so much experience. I mean, there's very few people that have been around the kicking game that long. You know, Fred Mitchell, Mr. Coach Brown, Tom Feely, you know, there's not a lot of people that have been around it for 30 plus years. And it's good to see like what they see are like trends that are hot and cold trends and then just kind of just look over the longevity of it. What's consistent. What's, you know, keep it simple. I mean, it's that was real cool to, to get his insight on all that stuff. Right. And, and what not better to have the, the best kicker currently in the NFL or in the world, his kicking coach was on with us on this podcast. Yeah. Akers, Cook, Cundiff, Tucker, Cox, Sauron. I mean, that's, those, that's like a phenomenal list of guys that he's had the opportunity to mold, you know. And, I mean, those are elite kickers, punters, and long snappers. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, guys, thanks so much for listening to our podcast. And make sure you follow us on social media at Fourth Down Experience. Appreciate it, guys. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Fourth Down Experience. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at 4th Down Experience.